0: Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining me today is Dr. James D'Angelo, who is a professor of applied linguistics at Chukyo University's School of Global Studies. Very nice to make your acquaintance.
1: Nice to meet you, Chris. Good to see you.
0: The paper we're going to be speaking about today is the status of English as a lingua franca in Japan. And we've previously discussed the concept of English as a lingua franca, ELF, with Dr. Jennifer Jenkins. Um, but could you contextualize ELF in the Japanese context? Is it is it similar to how we investigate it in other contexts?
1: Well, ELF, um, I think it is pretty similar for Japan. Um, With each context, you're gonna have some variation, but a crucial thing about ELF is that it is for the international use of English. It could be, it's gonna be situated someplace. It's gonna be happening in a certain country or city, but a basic presumption with ELF is that you have people from different first language backgrounds meeting. So it's, for example, a business meeting of Mercedes-Benz, but they have people, you know, Japanese suppliers there visiting them at their headquarters. So, you know what I mean. It's different from world Englishes, where you look at world is Indian English, how is it used in India and in Singapore English. So, with ELF, the basic um, assumption is that you have a mixed group, not necessarily with any native speakers included. Um, so, at first, um, at first, they wanted to exclude native speakers then they realize that's not the reality of the situation. You know, you'll have uh, Procter and Gamble Japan based in Kobe having meetings with Americans, Japanese and Germans and Filipinos. And um, and it's also, you know, it's not your usual in Japan. They often look at English as the Japanese and the native speaker, which is sort of a, a very native based way of looking at things. So in Japan, your elf will still be even if it's situated in Japan, you're looking at a situation with, for example, when we record, did Jennifer talk about the recordings at all for ELF? There's uh, two corpora. Uh, There's the voice corpus, Mm -hmm. the Vienna Oxford International Corpus of English. And then there's ACE. So Vienna voice is put together mainly by Barbara Seidelhofer in Vienna with her PhD students crisscrossing. And of course at the University of Vienna, It's mainly English medium. So they have a lot of international students there. So it's quite Europe-based with with some native speakers. But then Andy Kirkpatrick decided to follow the exact same specifications of Jennifer and create the Asian corpus of English, the ACE project. So, you know, it's quite similar in Japan and um, it's very international based. But you will find unique things of the Japanese speakers. So within an ELF situation, uh, people from different contexts will have different issues maybe to make for effective uh, English as a lingua franca. And, and maybe Jennifer talked about also, there's the concept of EMF, English as a multilingual franca. So uh, people all come from different L1 backgrounds. They all have English available to them. They're all English knowing people. But if you have three Germans in that Ben's situation I described and two Japanese and an Italian and an Australian, you'll have it mainly in English, but then you'll have uh, occasional shifting to Japanese or German or French, maybe within a couple of the participants. So um, she broadened ELF to English as a multilingua franca. So I, I can imagine Japanese occasionally uh, getting kakunin, you know, confirming with one another, uh, what was asked and um, you know oh. you know how our students love to consult each other before answering the professors.
0: <laughs> it does come down to the fact that English, as a lingua franca or English as a multilingual franca is intended to benefit all the people who are using it in that mm. particular context and never privilege or um, and as you say exclude anyone. I yeah, can understand yeah. the idea of wanting yeah. to exclude native speakers from those Mm contexts or from the research but it is intended to be kind of a an inclusive um, approach to to speaking and using english they felt
1: the natives would talk too much you know but it was marco modiani Mm. a scholar, I think he's American, but based in Sweden for a long time, who said to Jennifer, no, you, you know, you still have to include native speakers.
0: It was in Moriano's model, I think from about 2001, mm. that at the center of his model, you had native speakers almost at the center. I see. And just kind of existing mm. within their own space. But if they wanted to be multilingually communicative, they had to leave their space and right, you know yeah. join the the highly proficient users elf users of english yeah.
1: i remember a, a wedding in singapore i was invited to and at the sort of cocktail hour before things got started i was at a table myself another american and two singapore two three singaporean guys at a stand-up kind of table and uh, the american you know this was a wedding, you know, the Singaporeans are all formally dressed. The American, he, he was, I don't know what he was doing. He was a um, pretty young guy in Singapore, but he, you know, no necktie, no jacket, and couldn't seem to really follow the conversation. So, you know, as Larry Smith said in the old days of EIL, uh, native speakers also need to learn how to use English as an international language. So it's, it's not like all the accommodation goes towards the native speaker.
0: Well, that conversation came up with... Uh, Jennifer Jenkins herself because Mm. we were trying to get to the point as you say where English kind of English as a lingua franca kind of has to be used or taught to native speakers perhaps even more so than you have to with foreign language speakers because the foreign language speaker knows that they're speaking a foreign language Mm -hmm. they're already kind of working through that process but When you're using it as your first language, I think you kind of forget the effort that other people are having to go through, and there's a possibility of them taking over the conversation, as you say.
1: I I try to avoid even using the term EFL, you know, English as a foreign language, because Katru felt that, you know, again, your word of inclusive, uh, his model avoids the ENL, ESL, EFL trilogy because you have, uh, you know, all the circles Mm. are included. It's a very interesting topic.
0: It's a point that came up, contextual Japanese English, it's a point that came up in uh, an IELTS training session that I did Uh, yesterday. mm -hmm. And the kind of unconscious biases that we might have towards Mm -hmm. a Japanese English having lived in Japan for so long Mm -hmm. and not knowing the idiosyncrasies of Indian, Vietnamese Uh, uh, um, mm -hmm. performance varieties. So it's something that comes up quite a lot and I'd like to ask you a little later um, mm-hmm. on, the, on the topic of language testing. In, you, in your paper, you address EMI in the Japanese mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, a subject that I've covered with uh, Dr. Amartya Boob, Dr. Annette Bradford, Dr. Howard Brown, and Dr. Uh, Diane Pecorari, if mm-hmm. our listeners would like to go back and mm-hmm. check out those interviews. Um, but what's the connection that you see between ELF and EMI? And how popular is EMI in Japan? Yeah.
1: I imagine when you're talking to those other people about EMI, you will come across some negativity that it's sort of a neoliberal or neoconservative thing that's being foisted on the world. And uh, especially, you know, Dr. Mahbub in recent years has moved towards pretty much an anti English stance. And that, you know, why doesn't Pakistan go back to using? urdu or maybe something that existed there before urdu and you know why do people around the world have to use english but uh there is this trend in global higher education maybe pre-covid it was a lot easier before corona but um you know all over the world you see uh, and of course many people like to go to the inner circle countries you know many you see many chinese in america and canada and australia and indians south asians um Jennifer Jenkins this is one of the reasons she started Elf was was because she noticed that but Jennifer Jenkins noticed that see 9-11 had happened in 2001 and this made it much harder to get a visa to go for foreign students to go to America so suddenly there was kind of a shift of many of the foreign students going from U.S. to the U.K. and at Southampton she started noticing as Larry Smith noticed in the 70s he was at the East-West Center. He was head English teacher at the East-West Center at mm. the, um, in Manoa in Hawaii. And he said, like you said, uh, he had some trouble or the students had some trouble understanding the American, but he noticed mm. all these Asians from so many different countries understood each other so well. But when you look at EMI, um, certain countries, for example, Holland or Sweden or Norway or Denmark, I think the majority of graduate level education is conducted in English and a lot of undergraduate level. Germany is similar, Austria, where Barbara Seidelhofer is from. And then see the expanding circle, you know, the, especially within Europe, Northern Europe is very, very good at English, Southern Europe, Greece and Spain mm. and lags behind a bit. But you, if you look at the Elf <coughs> literature, you will see people like, I think Paola Vettorel have programs going on. And so Japan, is probably one of the places with the least amount of EMI. But within Japan, we have, um, I think, Asia Pacific University, Ritsumeikan, and mm. Kyushu is the main program. And then Waseda has something called, yeah, at Ritsumeikan, it's 50 50. It has to be 50 and 50% international students. Mm. Waseda has their big Koksai Kyoyo uh, School of International Liberal Studies. And so we're just trying, we have a little boutique major called Global Liberal Studies with just 20, a cohort of just 20 students each year. And um, an interesting thing too is within our department, for those who are sort of anti English, within our department, we have six majors, and one is called Uh, plurilingual, pluricultural studies. So if you go online, any of the listeners to um, just look up Chukyo University School of Global Studies, you'll find my GLS major, Global Liberal Studies, with the website mainly in English. But if you look at the other majors, there's two Gakas and six Senkos. You know, one gaka has four Senkos, one has two Senkos. But you'll see this uh, major in plurilingual, pluricultural studies. So Professor, Uh, Nomura, who's kind of the, (coughs) he's the brains behind the whole, what happened was World Englishes, College of World Englishes and College of Liberals, uh, Kokusai Kyoyo, Mm. uh, International Liberal Studies, combined into a larger school. And so I think the spirit of World Englishes is still within something like my, you know, my GLS is mainly non-Japanese students plus a few returnees, but you see, instead of uh, explicitly teaching about world Englishes you have your ELF or your world Englishes situation live where I do have the students from Nepal and Pakistan and Russia and the U.S. and a few returnees and Koreans so you see ELF in action mm-hmm. so you know it's content based you have you have to come in with SEFAR B2 level right that's the thing is with with, the, with these EMI programs you can't dumb down the program too much and you find this there's an interesting video on youtube about australian universities were a little too eager you know they also had declining birth rates and they brought in huge numbers of international students and i can send you the link later but it's almost like when a bubble bursts you know Mm. when you have the lehman shock in japan or Mm. the dot-com bubble in other words you know australia was bringing in so many international students that inevitably they did lower the standards. And then you run into problems where certain they show, you know, these South Asian students having serious difficulty following along with the materials and, you know, they're accepted, but then, uh, you know, they, they tend to fail because they can't follow the program. So it's, it's a challenge, but look at Malaysia. So Australia is a great case. Malaysia, when you go to the outer circle, You know, Singapore, of course, but Singapore institutions are so competitive, it's probably not that easy to enter. But when you look at Malaysia, you have a similar level of English and most of the private universities doing uh, English medium education. And then Mm -hmm. look at a graph sometime at the number of full time foreign students in Malaysia just goes straight up um, around 2014 or so. So Japan is just trying to do a little um, mini version of this, but it, it is increasing. There, there's, I think, a school in Yamanashi, and so the number of schools trying to offer EMI programs is increasing.
0: Well, you are right about um, Professor maboob uh, In his interview mm-hmm. for this podcast, he spoke about the the journal of EMI.
1: Oh, the I journal
0: see. of EMI that's coming in 2022. Oh, so it's just starting up. Huh? And he was he was very negative in his opinion of yeah. it. Um, and also, it's it's quite. Uh, interesting that you you bring up APU because um have you ever visited the campus no I'd
1: like to go yeah I've, I've met a teacher from there but I'd like to visit
0: well you've you just met another teacher from there oh, because okay. I've uh, <laughs> I I worked there for seven years I was on my okay, um, okay. foreign language program mm-hmm. and uh, it's actually one of the main places where I studied for my PhD it's one of my large data collection areas oh, yeah I keep in contact with them and, and actually this Wednesday me and Jonathan my co- host, uh, mm-hmm. will be presenting um, the plenary speech at their annual conference okay. on, on the topic of ELF. So, oh, good. You talk about, uh, in your pa- in the paper, you talk about uh, your students um, mm-hmm. seeing the reality of world Englishes through the programs that we've been discussing, um, but that teachers of English are less confident due to their lack of native like English as you note Uh, and also in the paper you give a good background to the history of English in Japan Mm. and because it was seen very much as a a foreign language and and something uh, that was controlled outside of Japan Mm. that this kind of prescriptive or looking at external models of English beyond exposure to elf beyond what can we do to affect positive change in teacher attitudes, mm-hmm. uh, and then hopefully passed down to the students in the classroom, right?
1: right. Local teachers, but I mean at the university level, we see a lot of foreign teachers in Japan.
0: Well, the reason that I asked this question is um, in preparing for this interview, I actually went back and read uh, my thesis, uh, which was okay. a painful experience um, <laughs> from back in 2014 mm-hmm. and one of the conclusions I came to was related to your program at Chukkyo University, where there was a lot of exposure to uh, English being used uh, as a lingua franca and uh, trips abroad to show English being used in uh, non-first language contexts. Mm. Um, But that uh, you and your colleagues, uh, Yoshikawa Sensei, Sakai Sensei, and yourself, found that there wasn't uh, a great increase in interest in non-native Englishes among your students. And uh, uh, yeah. the conclusion I came to was that maybe this uh, use of elf should start earlier, should mm. start in middle school, high school. Mm. Um, so do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Um, well, we, we're kind of dealing with two issues, the sort of changing attitudes among um, the faculty and the students, and starting it early, maybe three issues. Um, for the Japanese students, um, well, let, let me, for the Japanese students, see, the thing is when you still have 90% of your skills classes taught by imported native speakers, and you know, these are <clears throat> expert teachers, they're excellent teachers who've been here a long time, often traveling from one university to another in the morning and the afternoon, teaching 18 classes a week. I'm sure you've, Seeing those kind of people, they're they're very good and they have it down kind of pat. They know how to get the Japanese students to um, activate their English, and you know, experts at group work and things like that. But when you still, when that's what's in front of the students, mm-hmm. and then the Japanese faculty are just teaching reading classes mainly in Nihongo. Yep. they're going to have this continued identif- identification of um, English with. The native speaker and a lot of the native speaker teachers in my phd um i had 44 responses from graduates and then i had 18 teachers mm. uh, active teachers a couple of them japanese maybe three japanese but you see that the buy-in to or, and the understanding of world languages was not there or elf was not there among the uh, native practitioners so i think uh, to get the students to change their attitudes. Of course, Singapore has a big diff- a big effect on them. Mm. Mm. But to get the teachers to change their attitudes. and of course you would need more coursework, but um, we do ha- and you try to hire people from the outer circle. We had a woman from uh, Rwanda, We have a woman from the Philippines, we have a fellow from Uganda. Um, very hard to find Singaporean. I found a Singaporean teacher once, but not that many Singaporeans here. But uh, we have a very good woman from France.
0: Mm.
1: And she said only Chukyo would hire her because you know other, other places only wanted to hire to teach French, not to teach English. So you, you need sort of training program for the in-service teachers, you know, sessions on a Saturday where you sort of... And my PhD advisor, Bertus Van Ruy, when I showed him some of my data of the teacher responses to my questionnaires, you know, one guy says, world English is just an area of linguistics. It has no relevance to pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And um, so Bertha said, well, now you see what what the resistance is. And that's important, you know, to really get a two-way dialogue going and hear out the teachers, because some of them have this impression L for world English means anything goes. Right. You know, you, you don't correct errors, things like that so changing uh, changing teachers and but the nice thing is you know with this global english i tried with a concept of kingsley boltons called the world english's enterprise mm-hmm. you know and like elf came under the umbrella of the world english's enterprise and so did eio but then jennifer if you notice with her book, she shifted from World Englishes textbook to Global Englishes. Right. And her center in Southampton is a center for Global Englishes. And now Nicola Galloway and Heath Rose are really mm. pushing the Global Englishes. And um, let me show you the cover. This book is coming out, and maybe you can. Mention it to your uh, listeners, um, or somehow put a post of this. This sure. is called yep. uh, language teaching teacher education for global Englishes, a practical resource book, and it's edited by a guy, a friend of mine, Nat Rudolph, who's in Japan. These are two of his PhD colleagues: Ali Fuad Selvi um, in Cyprus and Bedretin Yazan. I think is now in in um, New Mexico, but again, they see partially based in the U.S. and having done their PhD in Maryland, they know Aya Matsuda. Aya Matsuda is at Arizona. She was always EIL. She had a lot of books on EIL. She was very close with Larry. But you see, they take part in the TESOL conference, which maybe we in Japan don't often go to the big TESOL (laughs) conference in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And Nicola goes there and Heath goes there. And the concept of global Englishes has really caught on as a new kind of umbrella term. That would in, uh, still include the and the world Englishes. Jennifer has a kind of competitive view with Katru uh, and the world Englishes people because they were criti- very critical of Elf when it first came out. Right. <clears throat> and so, but Nicola and Heath have been very very effective in connecting the global Englishes to pedagogy. And this book has 48 chapters. And I was asked to write the conclusion. And I noticed it's in a series with Rootledge, you see it in the yellow, Routledge advances mm-hmm. in teaching rat, rat tails <laughs> But there's 48 units and I wrote the conclusion. I, I hesitated at first to write the conclusion because I wasn't sure. The thing about global English is it's becoming so popular that it may supplant, you know what I mean? The, the Especially the teachers in training. If this book is used by many master's programs and all mm-hmm. of the people contributed to it are from their... Uh, Teach in teacher training programs, professors in teacher training programs. If this is used widely globally, even though they say World Englishes and EIL and ELF are under this, you may see global Englishes sort of replace those other terms. So I actually was in a quandary if I should write the conclusion or not but i was very impressed with the uh, chapters and there's something good in here on testing we'll talk about later you mentioned hmm. but uh, you know with these kind of things coming out when you talk about not the in-service teachers but the the future teachers you you see a lag but you see this these ideas definitely coming into the teacher training program so
0: um, that's good to hear i mean it was always the conclusion that me and my Uh, research partner Aaron Hahn come to which is Mm -hmm. uh, the target should be the teachers because the students you know may come to it by themselves but uh, a lot of as you say I mean I mean I was one of those you know 18 lesson a week teachers for Mm -hmm. a while before I got my PhD and I I got my position here and yeah there's very little buy-in as you say Um, And and so the practicality of it was so important. That's part of another project that I'm doing. And it's interesting that you bring up uh, Galloway and Rose because I actually Mm -hmm. took one of their ideas Uh for my intensive English course, the idea of a self-produced listening diary where the students go out and find, you give them a topic and then they go out and find the sources for themselves, Uh but using non-first language English uh, video and audio materials. Uh And so just to increase exposure th- through their own activity. So they get to choose the sources um, and then they write about it, write a summary and things like that. So, And by um, the
1: way, as you said, you mentioned getting it earlier in the education system. Um, again, elf is a function. It's not a variety. Right. Right. So some people make that, some people accuse Jenkins of having pushed for lingua franca English and she actually, in some way did say maybe a lingua franca English will emerge in 20 years. But if you could get, as you say, the teachers are the key. If you could get uh, junior high school or high school teachers that, a- again, maybe they've been through a master's program where that book I just showed you is used and they get on board more with this English variation view, um, it, they could easily set up z- these kind of Zoom type sessions with their smaller English class and say, high school in Turkey, you know, to get kind of a level playing field, I would say go other places in Asia in the expanding circle or go into Southern Europe um, and set up, you know, give some concrete tasks and have these kids uh, maybe in smaller groups, again, of like four Japanese, four from Greece and uh, let them work through things. And that those are the skills. In other words, you're not trying to build perfect pronunciation and Mm. a perfect sense of um, syntax you know you're going to get all that anyway in school but then as you adjust the priorities actually put them in a situation where they have to negotiate cultures and negotiate meaning and so that would be great if that and universities should do more of that too
0: well every time i've tried to put together materials that have this kind of uh english as a lingua franca as the as the, the the goal um yeah. well not as a goal because we're kind um, of an
1: underlying theory or something
0: yes that that, that it's informed by yes, understanding yeah. the, mm-hmm. the the function of english as a lingua franca uh, they are all goal oriented so you have to have the intention to use the language in order to achieve some task as you say yeah. things like q a's and simple conversations don't often don't work because there's no direction yeah, but if both yeah. parties have yeah. uh, a goal then they have an intention to to complete yeah. it and that's when form really doesn't matter because mm-hmm. it's the function it's what you're trying to achieve together
1: unless the, the form they're using is not getting the message across then they again then they need the strategies to say things in a different way you know To and so maybe the form improves because they go back to something they know better
0: you know yeah we always focus on goal orientation mm. and then try to tease out those negotiation mm. strategies as garage calls them show the students that if you're if you're achieving an aim then you it's a positive use it's empowering them
1: yeah. I think the task makes it kind of a high stakes communication and you see with elf the people who do business elf mm. and see Um, I'll try, I can't come up her name right now, a German Elf scholar. Um, She did have access to BMW or Benz. And it's very high stake communication because if a supplier from Japan gets it wrong, Mm. they're going to start making the wrong kind of thing. So, um, you know, if it's just conversation with no particular purpose, uh, uh, misunderstandings can slip by and you don't necessarily have to correct them. But if it's in a business situation where you're going to be taking an order and you have to do your part so you know what i mean the task based thing can say you know, one of the things i had the most success with in all my years of teaching was password you remember the i don't know it's an american tv game where you the, mm. the, someone gives the hints and the other person has to guess so and and you just put like you know statue of liberty or you put uh, the taj mahal or you put geta you know some japanese cultural thing and they have to explain you cannot use any parts of the word and uh and they have to get the other person to guess it and this is you know sometimes you find one or two games that you have trouble replicating you know they're so successful and you say okay how can i structure something similar that will work just as well but that has a different structure to it and i find that uh, you know like that game um find someone who you know can yeah. have you ever do you have a dog or, you know, can you play chess, you know, and that, that where people have to ask a different question to each partner, that is one of the most effective things. But I find this password in a way is putting people in a, it's not necessarily elf. They're talking to fellow Japanese in English, but um, you've really got to make yourself understood to, to have them guess correctly.
0: Well, I, I do a, a kind of variation on that with uh, students as a, as just a kind of a, a warm up. Mm-hmm. Uh, activity yes it has kind of like an elf underpinning Mm -hmm. to it but i do it um for reasons of to show students what they have and what they lack in their their skill base so i'll give them a a word like teacher Mm -hmm. and they're they're able to explain it to their partner very very quickly okay then i'll give them a one like stockbroker And I'll even give them the, the Japanese, and then the stump because of the lack of vocabulary, the, last, the lack of exposure Yeah, to life that.
1: experience. And, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Whereas teaching, you know, they're in it; they're in a classroom yeah. at that moment. Yeah. So, so that
1: uh, shows you, kaiwa is not enough. You know, you've got to have uh, English in certain fields. You know, is what you're going to need in the future.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, moving on and and going to the the question that uh, we kind of uh, have been talking about mentioning, um, we recently spoke with uh, Kevin Brown about high-stakes testing and oh, a yeah, yeah. of familiarity with mm. varieties of English, and that people with a familiarity are more likely to rate a person higher than if they have never heard that variety uh, yeah, before. Yeah. With reference to rating scales like the SAFA, um, mm. sorry, the uh, well, sefa being the common European framework of reference, okay, what more needs to be done to promote an ELF mindset? Uh, in the language testing industry or in
1: the language
0: or does it it? and again you know the interesting
1: thing is you know people think Singapore English is Singlish in other words Americans all speak um mid-Atlantic you know lovely English and British all speak RP when it's only three percent but Singaporeans speak the lowest level of Singlish so you have I often point out to students that you know you have the acrolect the mesolect and the Baselectal sociolinguistic levels as a simple model and those exist in any country mm. so you, you know mm. would you if you do bring this into testing you want to bring educated Singapore English educated Indian English um, you, you know you want something that's exciting just the way natives when their voices are recorded for TOEFL or TOEIC it is quite clear speakers mm. and they're not using such colloquialisms all they they do they may use the connected speech you know there was a textbook here once called what do you say the whole textbook is called what do you say and it's teaching the connective speech Mm -hmm. i think um, for testing yeah you would want to bring in I, i have this kind of volcano this mount fuji or more like something that's curved showing that you know educated singapore english and educated philippine english are much closer to one another than liverpool english and singlish and whatever you know countryside indian english so you do you do want educated speakers but uh i, I let me just um there in that book i showed you uh, um edited by ali this one um, mm-hmm. there's a fellow guang yeah this is my conclusion chapter have you heard of guang wei hu let me make this bigger
0: yes i've uh I've quoted their work on on numerous occasions. Yeah, so I think
1: this is that this is one person, right? But when you say they, maybe you mean he and his co-authors, or or.
0: Oh uh, uh, yes, uh, Professor Hu and and, uh, and other, co-authors,
1: yeah. yeah. But I, I was so impressed, you know. In a conclusion, you can only write so much, you know. So I have a section called the value of. You know, there's 48 chapters, so I pick out five or six chapters. After I talk about some general things, but he says um, what I say here is uh, one of the most impactful contributions is Guangwei, whose theoretical chapter on assessment, his expl- explanation of the weak and strong approaches to incorporating a global English's approach to proficiency tests such as IELTS, oops, missing an S, IELTS and TOEFL, is very accessible and easy to envision thanks to his applying those terms we are familiar with from the safe. So in a way, hmm. again, maybe a weak version of, of L for global Englishes could be incorporated in the testing in his rejection of both those band-aids, his proposal for a new type of functional testing based on what students can do. So here's your uh, Seffer type yeah. thing, you know, talking hmm. about, you know, the, the functions and do you know, Cutru's advisor in Edinburgh was um, Michael Halliday, mm-hmm. the father of systemic functional grammar. So, you know, moving from Chomsky uh, towards a more functional view of language, you know, this is what where Kachru started out before he wrote about Indian Englishes. So I think not only, you know, not only from a listening perspective of different mm. varieties, but also Making, and you know, a common criticism of tests, even in America, they'll say the SAT is too based in the white middle-class culture. You know, it mm, was, who's um, mm. was my friend in New York, uh, Labov Le- mm. uh, was very critical of standardized tests and the way of teaching in America because inner city New York, um, African-American children is, uh, culturally were not, you know, it even said SOFA. The question mentioned SOFA. And they called it a couch and they didn't know what the question was about. So, you know, but I think if you can uh, make, you know, have these certain, again, like tasks, you know, have these certain Mm. things where whether it's a speech act or something like that and students, you know, you could have, I don't know if you could incorporate a short answer. Maybe there could be a selection. In other words, it could still be multiple choice, Mm. but instead of a pure test of grammar or or. Um, vocabulary, things like that, it says, you know, it gives you a little story, you're in a certain situation, what would be the best way to respond to this, or what would mm-hmm. be the best way to request something, and it gives some choices, okay, so I think it, I think he's one of the best, really, with the testing, yeah. uh, so what the students can do, rather than what they know, and you see this on our syllabi, you notice in Japan, right, we're supposed to make it nani nani de kiru. Yeah. what people can do. We're not supposed to say what you will learn. So I think um, you may be one of the best.
0: It's interesting because like talking about the idea of artificial constraints mm-hmm. and, you know, like you say with password. So you can, you can explain what the person does and how they do it. You just can't use the word or you, you know, so you yeah. constrain there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, when we were talking about English as a lingua franca in mm-hmm. my intensive English course, which is kind of a, it's kind of an EMI. It's kind of a partially partial EMI because it's not Clil,
1: Clil sort of.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I said, can you think of any examples of where this goes on? And I don't know if you watch a Japanese TV show called Itekyu, uh-huh. which is pretty popular.
1: Uh, tell me a, a little bit about it. And, well,
0: there's a popular character on that. And he, he, and he does a, an activity from time to time. He's, his name is uh, Degawa. And Degawa. they will drop him in different places, for uh, example, yeah. in Sydney or New York or uh, uh, yeah, Angeles yeah, yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. And they will tell him he has to go to a, a famous monument.
1: Uh-uh.
0: They'll show him- Yeah, a picture I think of I have it.
1: seen this, yeah.
0: Show him a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And his artificial constraint, well, his actual constraint is he can't speak English and he knows only a, only a few words. Uh-uh. And it's how he pieces together the little bits of knowledge that he has To talk Uh to people in these places that Mm -hmm. he achieves the goal of finding i mean one time it was the statue of liberty another time it was a a famous anchor on the on the wharf in san francisco but he just doesn't know what the word wharf is or anchor or oh yeah and he
1: is this the fellow here that's the guy yeah okay okay yeah yeah Um, Yeah, i think i have seen that but yeah he's got such minimal english
0: but the students identified it as being he was using English as a lingua franca. He was, that was, I mean, he was a very limited function, limited functionality, but it certainly was, he was using English to, and he has to achieve this goal by a certain time. So it was interesting that the students came up with that idea themselves. That's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Henry Widdowson is one of the best people within Elf. You know, he's married to Barbara Seidelhofer and, you know, he's such a major figure. He's also about Two meters tall. <laughs> Have you ever heard Henry Widdowson speak? He's really good.
0: I've, I've never had the opportunity to hear him speak. I've, yeah. I've read several of his papers. Yeah, take a look at YouTube.
1: There's one where he does a plenary at um, the ELF in Athens which I've been able to find is, and he's, you know, he's a foot taller than the microphone. He says either the microphone is too short or I'm too tall. And uh, he's, he's just tremendous, but he does a thing where he says world English is, is about the sociolog sociolinguistics of varieties. And elf is about the pragmatics of variation. So it's a nice parallel, you know, world English is sociolinguistics, varieties, hmm. elf, uh, pragmatics variation so mm. you, you can remember with those three terms and uh, that, that's he says people are languaging they're doing uh, he calls it online idiomatizing which again that's why it wouldn't make sense to teach american idioms necessarily because right. you know y- you're going to meet someone from thailand and they don't know the american idioms either but you're you're idiomatizing and you're negotiating meaning with each other so i imagine this degawa I mean, he's doing that in a very rudimentary way, but he, he gets it done.
0: It's also quite empowering, I think, for the students yeah. to watch him on TV and know what and kind of be thinking, oh, what would I say? How could I do it? How could I explain this yeah. thing? Yeah. And I think when you put yourselves into uh, these kind of mind spaces, you, it starts to make you think about how you'd use language in a certain way to to kind of move on a little bit. and. Yeah. Uh, you, but but we've been speaking about some very prominent writers in uh, World Englishes an right, right, and ELF. Right. And you are the editor-in-chief of the journal Asian Englishes. Yes, is that yeah. right? um, have you seen any changes in the trends of what people are in the way that what people are researching or any kind of attitude shift? I mean, has there been a more positive View towards ELF. You said that global Englishes is is gaining traction. Um, okay. From your position, have you noticed any changes in the trends um, of sociolinguistic research?
1: One, it's interesting that you know Professor Nobuyuki Hona of Aoyama University founded Asian Englishes. He also founded uh, jaffai the Nihon Asia Ego Gakkai, Japan Association for Asian Englishes. But you know, he still gives it that World Englishes type title for the journal Asian Englishes rather than the Asian Journal of Elf or something mm-hmm. like that. So uh, if you look you know, in the back uh, or if you look online, you'll find um, our, it's kind of small here, but you'll find the aims and scope. Mm-hmm. And so Kingsley Bolton said this once for World English's Journal at a session. He said, uh, the biggest problem, you know, because they said are people from third world countries or developing countries that don't have enough access to materials and things how do how can you help them he said actually the biggest problem is so many papers are just off the mark mm. you know they're they're based on a nativist type view of things so I, I i've had this ongoing problem where people just because the context is india or pakistan or indonesia they but they're viewing it from a mainstream second language acquisition. you know All their sources are right. Mackey and Gas and um, you know the, the sort of classic uh, SLA people. But you, you do see trends, as you mentioned, more papers on Elf. Hmm. I think Jennifer Jenkins tell, or Will Baker in Southampton, I think they sort of tell their PhD students as they're finishing up, send an article to, to D'Angelo, if they're, especially if they're from Asia. Mm. So I'll find these things that are, you know, you just see Jenkins, 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 Seidelhofer, Seidelhofer, Baker, Baker, Baker. Dewey, Dewey. <laughs> and yeah, I kind of, and I found one of those that um, in terms of grammar, it needed a lot of work and, and the academic register was good, but the usages needed a lot of work. And it was from Indonesia, but very well thought out. So I, I rather than putting it out for review, I sent it, I rejected, it, and I said, look, get, and you n- I never say get a native speaker, get a native check, as I say in Japan, I just say get someone who's more experienced with international publishing to have a look at it, and, um, you know, polish it up a little, because again, you know, for example, Indians write really long sentences, there are uh, contrasts you see in, in style of writing. And I don't bother, I don't mind those kind of things or somewhat unusual usages, but you know, there still are errors and mistakes. And, and you, you, know, you, you find those in the abstract. You know the person is gonna have some trouble. So in order to sort of develop these scholars and you see, you see from the references that they're using the kind of paradigms that we're informed by. So in this case, rather than putting it out for review, I said, you know, I like the paper you know, get it sort of kicked into shape syntactically and um, and send it back and we'll then I'll put it out for review. Mm-hmm. But yeah, global one see, one reason I hesitated to write the Global English's chapter conclusion was that I do find myself getting Global English's papers that don't give any credit to the Larry Smiths or the um, who's the original Sandra McKay, you know, mm-hmm. continued doing work in EIL for a long time. You know, nothing about Katshu. So it's just Galloway and Rose, Galloway and Rose, Galloway and Rose. And a few Aya Matsudas. Hmm. Because she she actually, um, in her second EIL book with multilingual matters, she has these teaching EIL books with multilingual matters. The second one with a green cover goes, you know, she does have a lot of global English people making contributions. So, uh, you know, sometimes they just sort of remind them. And say don't forget the heritage Mm. of of what we've come through you know.
0: I think it was with Professor Nobuyuki Hino Mm -hmm. uh, in the interview there that he brought up uh, his you know long-standing respect for and memory of uh, Larry Smith and uh, that it really was that kind of energy of Kachru and Smith and McKay that started the whole movement. So uh, not to acknowledge them, I think is uh, definitely missing part of the part of the yeah. backstory. Yeah. So to finish today, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the uh, on Chukyo University's Center for World Englishes, which oh, yes. uh, yeah. you note, uh, has now been,
1: it will be defunct in a couple of years. But, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's been quite effective. And it also was somewhat unique Mm. So we were able to, somehow the message was fairly clear. In Nihongo, it's Koksai Ego Gakubu, but you know, world Englishes became mm. well known and quite unique in all of Japan, really. So our, our hensachi, I don't know, if, are your listeners mainly in Japan or they're from?
0: Um, the they're about, I think we're split about 50 50 Japan and then other places. So I, I try to uh, keep.
1: If, yeah, if, if, I use
0: Jap- if I use Japanese, then I'll kind of yeah. uh, explain it. Yeah.
1: So this Hensachi is just a statistical thing like the SATs in the U.S. And basically, it, instead of hundreds, it's 10. So 50 is more or less the mean. And we were able to push up from old days of, say, like forty-seven point five fifty. We reached 57.5. Uh, which is uh, Nanzan, which is sort of the best private university in Nagoya. Mm. Their English program was always at 60. And then, you know, if you went to Tokyo, they were, Waseda was 65, 67.5, but a very popular program with really good students. And what I find in my PhD research, and it's, it's on, you can get it on um, academia.edu or Google Scholar has my, um, Uh, It's in the library. The library in Northwest University in South Africa has put up the PDF so you can access my Mm -hmm. um, my uh, dissertation. But what these students, especially more than in the classes or going to Singapore made a difference. But Mm -hmm. then when they actually got out into the working world, Mm -hmm. that's when they really woke up to the world Englishes. And at least they had a base. Mm. You know, the things that were taught to them as freshmen in uh, introduction to world English has suddenly started to click because they got jobs with companies. And then when they're like 24 years old, they're sent overseas and they're not sent to America Mm. or Australia, maybe Australia, but they're not sent to Great Britain or America. They're sent to Indonesia. They're sent to Malaysia. They're sent to China. They're sent to, they're, they're on the phone and emailing again, Aichi is our prefecture is one of the biggest areas for the auto industry so you've got students working for car suppliers emailing and telephoning all the time with people in Germany and France and Italy and they say for example wow you know the French the German negotiators are really tough Mm. (laughs) so it's not about language proficiency it's a it's a sort of pragmatic thing of do you see how tough these people are being. And it's not just understanding them, it's taking your own sort of tough stance. So um, so the, I think the College of World English was very effective and a lot of people are quite angry in a way that it's disappearing, but we're merging with the School of International Liberal Studies, similar to what Waseda had. So that's also going away. And that that was a cool program where I shouldn't say cool and then I get to make this discussion. but you had to study English fairly not as much as world Englishes but you also had to choose a third language. Right. So in the Koksai Kyoyo they offered Russian, French, Spanish, German, Chinese so they would do a semester overseas say in Spain or in Russia or China. So I think the heritage of this new um, School of Global Studies has the world English is built into it but it's interesting that especially once they get out into the working world they then things click with them yeah it, whereas the person who came out out of an Bay program like a, an England and America focused English program hmm. would say boy those Singaporeans their English is terrible I just can't understand them so at least our students have the and but they don't realize the Singaporeans have a much broader vocabulary in their right. field and the Indians are incredibly proficient. And so, you know, our students are preconditioned to have an appreciation for that. So I think it's it's been good in that way.
0: Yeah, I was I was discussing in a, in a previous interview uh, with uh, Bruce Lawrence, uh, who did most of his work for his Ph.D. in Korea. And we noted how during our times in our respective countries, uh, Mm -hmm. Japan and Korea, how interest in studying English, maybe not in the US or in the UK, where they might feel that it's, it's too far from their culture, but how uh, students have been increasingly going to places like Singapore, like the uh-huh. Philippines, to um, like English study camps.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. And
0: I think that recognition that English was being used at a highly proficient mm-hmm. um, first language user level within Asia, I think, uh, is something, a trend that I've seen.
1: Yes, yeah. Yeah, so many go to Philippines from Japan now um and because you get man to man on man you know you're mm. not in a big class and it's close by and beaches are there also
0: it's absolutely fantastic they've, they've definitely put a lot of money into that infrastructure uh, using english as a as a as a commodity yeah. almost thank you very much for your time today uh yeah well, it was a pleasure and I, I hope that we have the chance to speak again in the future
1: and I'll, this encourages me also to listen to more of the podcast and encourage people to. It's a great shortcut in a way to mm. seeing a wide range of not get lost in the citations, as you say.
0: The paper we've been discussing today was the status of English as a lingua franca in Japan. I look forward to reading your future work and thank you very much for your time today.
1: OK, thank you, Chris. And I look forward to reading yours as well. So thank you very much.
0: Lost in Citations is an audio journal that invites you to contribute your own interviews. If there's someone whose work you cite regularly and you'd like to hear more from them, then please feel free to arrange your own interview and submit it for consideration. For more information go to lostincitations.com where you'll find our guide for contributors. What we ask is you submit a five-minute audio sample before the interview so that we can help you with any audio quality issues. Then you can go ahead and record 45 minutes to an hour and submit it at lostincitations at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, we have Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages. Finally, a very helpful thing you can do is, if you like the work we're doing, recommend it to a friend. Thank you very much.